Yeah. The saw is not triggering the the waveform, so that's good. It'll probably just be a weird noise in my background. Well, yeah. we're just trying. I mean, hopefully we get a, at least a tiny touch. We got to get the workers in on this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I should just, just like going out while he's in the middle of like cutting up the street and being like, hey, are you in a union? <laughs> you're not do you want to know about forming one? <laughs> oh man it's, i think about that all the time when i see like road crews or people doing any kind of like real hard work like hot outside work with a lot of heavy machinery i think to myself you know everyone needs a union obviously but those guys i really fucking hope they have one yeah no absolutely <laughs> i mean unfortunately so many times like a lot of those folks don't like unless if you're in the building trades maybe might be in there with like laborers or machinists but there's so many mm-hmm. times where like the state's like well this job doesn't require any experience so how could you possibly need a union and it's like well yeah the the jobs that don't require any experience are the jobs where you kind of need a union the most yeah sure if they, re- if they require experience and like specific technical knowledge which all jobs do but you know what i mean if they require like a high degree of that then you can threaten to withhold your skills and specialization. But if it's a job where they can literally just replace you with somebody else and train them the way they trained you, like you need collective bargaining. You need collective action so bad. Oh yeah. I mean, and even then, because you know, you can try to get a better wage yourself, but like, as we always say, you know, together we bargain alone or alone. We starve, you know, united. We bargain, divided. We beg. There we go. Yeah, that's, that's it. Well, and a lot of times, divided, we don't even really get a chance to beg. You kind of get this preemptive dressing down by your you know, boss or superior, and they kind of try to head off any concerns you might have and point you to a <laughs> bunch of busy box, useless little fucking corporate programs. Did you know you could apply uh, to go to Arizona State University online and learn business school, and you only have to pay <laughs> 82% of tuition? It's like, yeah. fuck you! <laughs> yeah, that... I mean, it reminds me of a meme that I saw recently, which I did not include in this meme review because I didn't really like it a ton. I mean, it was fine, but it was uh, someone in there for a job interview and being like, uh, oh, yeah, you look like you're pretty qualified. And then the worker is like, oh, yeah, I got you a bunch of uh, plans on whether on like how much I'll work and for how much money. So if you uh, pay me this much, I'll work this much. And like providing like the tiered system that like most businesses provide to customers. It was, it was oh, yeah. kind of funny, but I, I don't. I don't think that's that's another one of those, uh, you know, begging as an individual kind of situations. Yeah, well, I, I have some I have some good friends on Facebook whose uh, advice within a certain set of parameters I really respect where they're talking about, like, you know, if you're if you're unhappy with your work situation, there are some some basic tech and like tech infrastructure programs out there that you can go get certified in. They don't cost that much money. And you can go get jobs and you can like grind interviews really hard and you can work your salary up, you know, 50K, 60K, 70K, 100K, whatever. And I'm like, that's good advice. You know, if, if what, if your concern is like, how do I get mine? But if you want to protect you and all of your fellow workers, like there are bigger strategies to go for than just turning your 60K into 70K inside of a year. Well, and the other thing is, is that, that like any individual action, Mm-hmm. That's not going to protect you when there's inflation. That's True. not going to protect you when enough people do that, that the company has decided that it has devalued whatever skill you've been training in. And so yeah. they, they suppress wages. So And it doesn't like, give you any political power, which oh, a yeah, union yeah, fucking does. So, right. yeah. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Love political power, folks. Welcome to Work Stoppage, <laughs> the number one political power show. <laughs> That's right. This is the Wonk Cast. We're changing the show, folks. <laughs> it's all power discourse. We're doing Marx X Foucault today, uh, <laughs> which is going to be a real fucking mess because I don't think any of us know that much about Foucault. Is uh, uh, <laughs> is it is it any wonder that jobs resemble prisons? Resemble <laughs> <laughs> barracks, resemble schools, etc. Yeah. Uh, and if you want. Um, I don't have a fun barrack schools way to say this. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you do, uh, we really appreciate all the support we get on Patreon. Uh, we will never run ads, but your support prevents us from having to turn this institution into a barracks prison. Uh, if you're not in the Discord already, get in the Discord. It's nothing like a barracks or a prison or a school. If you, don't, if you are a patron and you don't have your stickers yet, uh, please just message us on Patreon. It's that simple, and simple things are fun to do. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you choose. Honestly, you know, just uh, write it on the wings of a paper plane and toss it off the tallest building you can find. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, right. and uh, to follow up, uh, Dan did get his stickers. The uh, CIA, the CIA failed. Woo. <laughs> that or there was a temporary break where they were installing their new like paper thin uh microphone attachments onto the stickers but i guess we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> but in uh actual follow-ups uh we're gonna start today with the hudson workers united the law firm and well basically these are like paralegals and other sorts of people working within law uh that we did that interview with the masked voices and we were talking about how their votes are finally being counted. Well, on Wednesday, May 18th, the NLRB finally began counting the the votes. But, ah, uh, goddamn. This one, just always another fucking barrier. Well, uh, they started with uh, 42 votes in favor with zero uh, votes against and then management challenged the remainder of the ballots, uh, which, which then hadn't even been opened them, yet. Yeah, which right. then were just left unopened, basically causing another pause in this fucking election. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is typical law firm behavior. Like they're really pulling out every stop here on on the anti union fuckery. Y- yeah, like I mean, when, when we even when we talked to the worker organizers at hudson workers united when we did our interview like we talked about the kind of the special uh aspect of the union busting campaign that these workers have been facing where obviously you know it's our whole show a lot of the time is what we're talking about is companies trying to resist unions but when it's a law firm you have that extra addition of rather than going out and necessarily having to like hire a bunch of lawyers to do all their bullshit for them they're just like Oh, we already have all of the 
the ins and outs and all the loopholes and know all the million ways they can drag shit out, delay stuff, all the meanwhile, like trying to disrupt the ability of the workers to continue organizing or drive them out of the company entirely. Yeah, they're like, oh, we didn't hire Littler Mendelssohn, so we're the good guys. But then, you know, you look at what they're doing, and they're basically Littler Mendelssohn themselves. Yeah, well, yeah. you're a law firm. You don't have to hire Littler Mendelssohn. You could just copy their homework. <laughs> right. And and so, I mean, they already have been, you know, these folks did this vote months and months ago, and they've already done all these legal challenges to delay it up, up until last Wednesday. And then the second, of course, you know, we see that, the votes are overwhelmingly in favor of the union. They pull mm-hmm. out all these other nonsense challenges. So now we got to wait more weeks while there's going to be a hearing so that the NLRB can rule on whether Hudson's challenges, which assuredly have no legal basis on whether they're valid. And then they can finally go about to, to like counting the ballots. But it's, this is one of those things that's just so frustrating about the way us labor law works that there is, a million opportunities for the company to come in and disrupt the election. And it's totally fine. And there's, there's no real legal Avenue for the workers except to just wait and hold on. And like in the meantime, in this specific case, like the union has reported in on Twitter that the company's moving a lot of the like legal writers that mm-hmm. have been part of the bargaining unit to different positions within the company so that they can claim, Oh, well these workers now they're outside the bargaining unit. So really we shouldn't even be counting their ballots. And so their ballots should be considered invalid. Like essentially to try and basically make the, try and rule the entire election illegitimate, which is of course, nonsense like you can't it's a transparent move by the company to do this rather than to do it for any like actual reason that the company would need like internally to their operations but it continues to have this you know demoralizing effect or that's the goal anyway is to demoralize the workers to basically either get folks to quit get folks to give give up and throw in as many legal wrenches in as possible which is why like i think that it's been so important that it's been good to see that like the the organizers with Hudson Workers United aren't, you know, letting this get them like demobilized or take the energy out of their campaign. They've been continuing to hold like rallies with supporters locally, like in the Chicago area and, you know, continuing to amp up support and point out. And that's the other thing is like, even with these delays, we had got 42 ballots counted and every single one of them was for the union. So, even if Hudson can throw all these wrenches in there, the workers know. They're like, look, we now know that there's like a 90% chance plus mm-hmm. that we got this in the bag once these are counted. So as frustrating, as bullshit as these delays are, as great examples of how messed up U.S. labor law is, I think that you know it's still inspiring that the Hudson workers are continuing to stay strong, and we have every indication from every piece of information that we've gotten that when their votes are counted, eventually, whenever that happens, that they will emerge victorious and they will get their union recognized. So, just want to yeah. you know, shouts out to the Hudson workers, folks, for standing strong, and you know, we'll always, of course, continue to support their efforts on the show. Right. And uh, listeners last week would have heard me cut in after the Target Workers Unite uh, story saying uh, that the 
union had to withdraw the election petition because the NLRB had ruled that uh, some of the union cards were invalid. But we're just going to quick hit this one and and clarify what uh, actually kind of happened there. So the workers in Christianburg, Virginia at Target had, again, had to temporarily withdraw their petition from the NLRB to get more signatures. And then they had uh, they filed an unfair labor practice against Target for uh, making coercive statements during captive audience meetings, interrogating workers on whether or not they support the union, and spying on workers. Uh, basically, the, the classic Target playbook that we had covered, I don't know how long ago. It was a few months, I think, at this point. <laughs> but, yeah, it, no, as you said, like, this is... This is exactly what we would expect from Target from that, those leaked like management trainings. Um, like they they were of this is again something we see from every major corporation tampering with pro union flyers in the break room at the store. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is like this is not the first ULP by any means. It's been fired filed against Target and specifically the management at this store. Like there have been numerous ones that have been filed over the several years that the workers have been organizing there. But this is just, you know, this is on top of this and showing that like target really sees the union as an existential threat. And so they are willing to bust out tactics that are at the very least questionable in their legality and really more often than not clearly illegal and violation of the NLRA. Uh, But, you know, as we've talked about on the show, like, what is the risk to them from that? Probably not that much, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. uh, I would expect them to continue doing this. And it's not as if these are tactics that Target Workers Unite like wouldn't expect. I mean, they've been on top of this stuff the whole way. So like, it, while it's frustrating that Target continues to do this sort of union busting, it's certainly not ex- unexpected. And even while like the, the withdrawal of the union petition is an unfortunate setback, but... I think that, you know, Lena, we were talking about this when it happened like last week that, but you pointed out that, you know, the ALU had to do that briefly, uh, be, mm-hmm. uh for some similar reasons, although obviously, you know, very different campaigns, but they had to temporarily, temporarily withdraw their petition and resubmit and they still won. So I would not see like that setback as any sort of, you know, fatal flaw or anything it's 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 more a delay i think than anything yeah certainly Mm -hmm. i mean we're really hoping to see these workers come out with a a victory and honestly i have a lot of confidence they're doing some really great rank and file organizing with the iww and uh i mean they have been fighting for this union for a long time this is not a short battle they are years in at this point so they are at least experienced enough to know how to get to traverse some of this. And especially with the ALU's example, they have a pretty good chance of knowing how to uh, traverse this incredibly difficult union busting campaign. Absolutely. Well, if we wanted to talk about a, a union busting campaign that failed and is over and done with, let's talk about the Raven Software uh, testers who have won their union election with a 19 to 3 vote to join the CWA. This is in the face of aggressive union busting from the uh, parent company Activision Blizzard, uh, who's in the middle of that whole, you know, being purchased transition. 
Uh, and they also had to face the firing of some of their colleagues, uh, workers being transferred to other departments, and restrictions on their speech in the workplace. And they won anyway in a landslide. And we have a quote here from Becca Aigner, a pro-union worker at Raven, who said, the outcome of this election, the voice of the people coming together to vote yes for this union, is further validation that even a small group of folks in Madison, Wisconsin, standing together in solidarity, can face uh, up against a AAA studio giant like Activision and come out the other side victorious. Now that the fight for recognition is through, we can focus our efforts on negotiations. We'll fight for respect, fight for better wages, better benefits, better work-life balance, fight for sustainability and job security, and continue to fight for our fellow workers in solidarity. Hell yeah, soft, uh, Raven software workers. And hell yeah, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin <laughs> yeah. used to be like one of the the like bedrock places for labor solidarity in the United States till uh, a long campaign by conservatives eventually destroyed that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, this was slightly before the, our time as a podcast, but there's, Mm -hmm. there's like a literally a whole like election, like story behind the Republicans who were like union busting and well, I don't want to get all into it, but yeah, there is a pretty significant historical campaign in Wisconsin to attack workers. Mm Hmm. Yeah, the whole like Scott Walker destruction of public unions and the occupation yeah. of the Capitol. Yeah, I mean that honestly, that would be a good overtime episode to talk yeah, about at some point. Anyway, <laughs> rather than musing about this in the middle of recording the episode, <laughs> um, obviously, you know, this is a huge win. Like this is the these workers will be the first union bargaining unit within a major video game studio. There have been a few like indie studios that have unionized mostly, I think voluntarily, which is dope. Like I don't want to demean that at all, but the hurdles of being able to do something like this at a gigantic studio, like Activision Blizzard is one of the biggest, you know, video game publishers and they own a whole stable of studios. And, you know, we've talked several times on the show about the various, you know, constant campaign of union busting that these folks have faced, including uh, some very similar tactics to what we've seen from Starbucks with basically Activision coming out and being like, oh, we're going to offer our testers raises and new benefits, except for the workers at Raven who are trying to unionize and bringing out the whole bullshit of we can't change status quo, which as we've talked about so many times is not true. Howard Schultz. uh. (laughs) Yeah. And, but that's another one of the reasons why I think this vote is so encouraging is that because that tactic is one that you can see being effective. You can understand why it would drive some people to, to be afraid that they're, even if they wanted to join the union, be like, well, I really want those benefits. And what if they really don't, we don't eventually get them. It's like you can, I can, you can see how that sort of propaganda would work. And so the fact that in the face of that, in the face of months of harassment from Activision, from having basically being censored on social media, talking about their job conditions, to come out with a 19 to 3 landslide rules. Like this is ex- incredibly encouraging because as, the, as, as that quote says from, from that uh, Becca Egner or Enyer, um, it exactly as she said, like, if they can do it at Ravensoft, like a company that primarily works on churning out like Call of Duty, like basically the biggest franchise out there, if they can organize a union, there's absolutely no reason why workers at any other major publisher it could could do the same thing. If you work at Microsoft, if you work at Sony, if you work at literally any of them, they're, they're like, if, if people can be Activision, 
they can beat those companies too. And what that was one of the things that I thought was so also excellent to see was right after the vote announcement came out, there was all, like CWA, Games Workers Alliance, all of the different groups working in there were immediately tweeting out like, hey, if you work in games, you've been inspired by this vote, you're interested in unionizing, like reach out. We're ha- we, we'd love to help you. We'll, we'll happily give you, you know, whatever resources and assistance you need, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you want to see in this sort of oh, situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, organizing Absolutely. a union. Solidarity. Organizing a union in the game industry is a lot like learning how to play Kaizo Mario levels. It looks insane and completely impossible and just way too intimidating at first. But uh, then you talk to somebody who's done it and it's like, yeah, man, you just learn like six fucking tricks. And then you, <laughs> you learn to see them coming and you're good. It's not that hard. So One yeah. weird <laughs> trick for disrupting union busting campaigns. It's called shell jumping and it is the man- hardest one. Managers yeah. hate it. But we had... One additional piece of news, though, in this campaign, like obviously mm-hmm. a little bit overshadowed by the uh, incredible victory by these workers, is that <laughs> on Monday, the NLRB finally ruled that a bunch of the ULP charges that the union had filed over the last several months did indeed have merit, that Activision had illegally threatened workers during the union drive, restricted their protected activity via their social media policy. And so they are seeking to require Activision to change their social media policy to stop preventing workers from talking about working conditions with, uh, without fear of retaliation. And like these, like, this is again, while we're glad that this complaint was filed, it like is again, yet another illustration of the toothlessness of us labor law, because a, this is the, they're just filing the complaint. So there aren't actually repercussions yet. And these are from ULPs from September. So like eight months ago (laughs) at this point, and Activision will sh- assuredly appeal so that even if, you know, the workers are, are ruled in favor, we probably won't see an actual resolution of this until the end of the year at the earliest, probably next year. And but just to cap that off, as frustrating as that is, as infuriating as U.S. labor law is, the victory by the workers showed that, like, we don't have to wait for the NLRB to fix this stuff mostly and largely because like doing that is often a futile effort. And it's through our solidarity, through rank and file organizing, through sticking together and helping each other. Like that's how we're going to beat this stuff. Like, well, yeah. I mean like a futile effort, like maybe in the face of the union campaign for, for state recognition. But I do think that uh, excising all of these anti-worker policies from uh, like the employee handbook and stuff are like no, like good ideas and actually pointing out these important things that are going on. I mean, Starbucks had the exact same thing. We talked about how they had like tens of different policies within their play, uh, their handbook that were anti-worker and actually against the law. And I really, uh, despite the fact that this is going to take uh, almost a year to come to fruition, hopefully, uh, I'd encourage people to look through their fucking employee handbook and find where it's illegally saying you're not allowed to talk about your work conditions. Like, look into that and maybe even just use that as some agitation propaganda for your fellow workers. Be like, see, this is illegal right here. This is the kind of thing that we should be fighting because, like, when people see it in writing, they're like, wow. The repression is built into my job, and I think that that can be enlightening to some folks. Sure. No, absolutely. Yeah, I was certainly not saying that, oh, don't bother filing ULPs because nothing will happen. That's not the message I'm trying to go for. Like, even just putting the pressure publicly 
on the company has an effect. And as you said, Lena, like it's, it works as a great tool to show people just how against the workers' interests the company's operating. So yeah, by all means, I'm just that uh, we should never be under the illusion that the NLRB is going to come to the rescue of any union drive. That that's really all the the whole, my only point there. But I would I would love to see like every employee handbook in the United States uh, put under review of every union. Uh, just yeah. to that that that's something that that would be really cool. But also, many very often those things are at least partially remedied by a union contract. But yeah. to move to our next story, we are going to uh, kind of follow up. It's kind of, kind of a follow up on uh, Apple workers, where there was a leaked memo from Apple with another anti-union playbook, similar to like what we mentioned earlier with Target. And the CWA has, uh, in turn, filed ULPs. Uh, We mentioned before that there are Amazon retail stores that have been unionizing. Apple. What did I say? Amazon. Oh. Uh, Yeah. uh, At Apple retail stores uh, in Atlanta. And uh, there was... Was there another one, right? New York, Grand Central Station, and... There's another one in New York at, I think, the World Trade Center. Right, right. Yeah, actually, I think that that one is even in this story. So, I mean, obviously, as soon as there are announcements of unions, Apple is rolling out the anti-union playbook, and they did hire Littler Mendelssohn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. And then, and then uh, Apple uh, leads out with the, the one that makes the most sense for Apple, although we do hear it from a lot of different companies, which is that uh, the stores have these teams with a very special culture, which could be <laughs> disrupted by the union. And this is so rich coming from a company like Apple, where like having a corporate culture isn't just like their internal messaging. It's also like their public facing <laughs> like uh, a spin on their company. You should like our company because our CEO wears a black turtleneck and and does like things to show off our new products. That means we're cool. Yeah, he's a rich guy <laughs> who makes jabs at that other rich guy, <laughs> Gil Bates or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's but it's funny because like we've talked about this set of tactics that Littler basically just had kind of copy paste everywhere they go, which is one of the things I've that has. Honestly, I'm like, man, being a union busting lawyer has got to be like the the biggest disconnect in like like salary versus the amount of work that you do because like <laughs> they just copy paste the same bullshit at every store and I uh, and I think that that's honestly if you're like just to, from a business perspective, you know, to shift gears from our normal pro worker perspective, I would just think that the the, for instance, the Starbucks Workers United campaign, some of the many other Victorious Union campaigns we've talked about that have overcome Littler's uh, like anti-union propaganda might start to dim some of the prestige there for, for Littler and might make some people be like, well, they keep trying the same shit and it doesn't work. Maybe why, yeah. why are we paying these well, guys so much? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it, it's the same phenomenon as, as when you're a pundit, as long as you're anti-communist, you don't have to know anything. You can yeah. just kind of like vomit words out. It's like, if you as a, as an institution exist to fuck over workers, you don't have to be good at your job. You don't have to be affordably priced. You don't have to be anything. You can do whatever you want and charge whatever you want and nobody will ever fucking challenge you 
because challenging you would be taking the side of the workers. Right. <laughs> they can't fucking do that. <laughs> and another thing that I want to point out is that these people are not going to be, they're off the payroll as soon as the union wins their election. Mm-hmm. They are still going to be there at the bargaining table. I mean, when we had our union, I was literally in the Littler Mendelssohn building uh, with the Littler Mendelssohn lawyer uh, who was trying to put right to work into our fucking contract and then uh like all sorts of bullshit and i mean as i have mentioned in other episodes they did you know coerce us into a bad attendance policy which i think was part of the downfall of our union but um but but beside that yeah they're basically there the whole time and they're gonna keep being like trying to stick to what you know the starbucks playbook of you're gonna receive less benefits because we are gonna continue to bargain in bad faith yeah i mean yeah, like to your points where you're talking about like them focusing on that quote unquote special relationship, like one of the talking points in the leaked memo says, what makes the store great is having a team that works together well. That can't always happen when a union represents a store's team members. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, wait, what? But if the team members are all union and they're getting paid more and they don't have to deal with as much of your bullshit, I think they'll probably work a lot better. I think your special culture will improve quite a bit, actually. Well, that's the, they don't want the culture to improve. They don't want yeah. the workers to know each other better. They want the workers to know each other specifically through the lens of whatever Apple has determined is, you know, good store policy, making all the, the genius bar people, like, wear a blue polo or something. Yeah, see, <laughs> yeah. see, don't think of your coworkers as your coworkers. Think of this computer as your coworker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, of course, you know, they're also busting... This one I thought was really funny, where they basically tried to spin the idea that a union might, ooh, gosh, actually lay out definitions for job positions to say, this is what this job does. This is what this job does not do. And if you want job A to be able to do these other things, that's going to come with, you know, more pay, more like compensation for doing more work. But they've tried to spin this as like (laughs) cutting off opportunities for workers to work, quote, work in a different zone or pick up work as stretch assignments. Like, <laughs> I don't want stretch oh, no. assignments. I want to be paid fairly for the work I'm supposed to do. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, don't you want to go and like cut in on other people's labor as well? You know, shouldn't you be going into the warehouse and organizing everything while you're a commissioned salesperson and losing money? It- <laughs> It's crazy. Like the the other, the, a lot of the dudes at my job that that work in the same position that I do are, are fairly old, and a lot of them love to complain about how they don't get enough hours. I'm like my brother in Christ. You work 55 to 65 hours a week. <laughs> what you need is a raise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, because yeah, that's the thing. Is their old thing is like, but. But if there's a union, we not may may not be able to have you do the work of two or three people. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, you don't want that. <laughs> like, it's it's ridiculous. They, and they they of course they roll out the the canard that is always thrown out there about unions, though that your unions protect lazy workers and they don't help you know hardworking people. They've got a line there. Quote: The quality Good. of your work may not even be a factor. End Good. quote. We should wow. all slow down. You know, <laughs> exactly. you over there breaking your back for the company, man. Go eat a fucking candy bar. Like, <laughs> well, I had it. 
I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but I got in an argument with my dad about this exact same thing a couple of weeks ago, where he's basically like, well, the first thing that I would do if I was, you know, in charge of a union is that we'd walk into the boss's office and be like, we're going to make this company the best company it can possibly be. And I'm like, look, I get that perspective, <laughs> but you have to think about, like, what are the results of that? What's going to happen if your workforce busts its ass for the company? Are they going to get a proportional, you know, like response are they going to get higher wages better benefits more holidays because they br- they busted their ass no their fucking boss is going to go buy a maserati that's what's going to happen so why would the workers break their backs never see their families like miss out on important life events in their kids to make the company the best company in the world just so that the ceo can make 25 million dollars in his salary instead of 22 million it doesn't yeah. make any goddamn sense you don't need to make a big show of like good faith you already do all the work the good yeah. faith is there. <laughs> it's the boss oh, that needs yeah. to make a big show of good faith. Yeah, right. So, because that's one of those things that this, the, the culture of individualism, the 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 myth of meritocracy is one of these things that's so damaging in our culture because there's this idea that, well, if there's in a union, I won't be able to distinguish myself by working hard. I'm like, man, you can't do that now. That's not a real thing. Like, the, yeah. it's 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 base. It's like the way that management kind of treats this all like a Ponzi scheme where they'll promote one person and be like, see if everyone works really hard, everyone will do really well. And it's like, no, that's not how the fucking scheme that is capitalism works. And a lot of the time, if that one person doesn't have like the same last name as the owner of the business, for instance, uh, the, the position that they get, like, yes, it might be a, a big increase in their salary, but then they are suddenly working 60 and 70 hour weeks for that salary and end up making 12 or 15 dollars an hour just like the rest of you schlubs and just because they're in charge of some paperwork or something doesn't mean they're not being equally exploited it's like there's no fucking like the myth of meritocracy is just it's just fucking deception all the way down right you know? well and to get back to the story at hand <laughs> yes. uh yeah. sorry about that also you're fine i i honestly love talking about this shit we could go on forever uh, on Wednesday, May 18th, the CWA filed ULP charges against Apple for their union-busting activities at the New York City store at the World Trade Center, like we mentioned earlier, uh, saying they broke the law by interrogating workers, removing pro-union flyers from community boards, and forcing workers to attend captive audience meetings. The CWA has also filed ULPs against Apple for the captive audience meetings they've held at the Cumberland Mall store in Atlanta, so... There's all sorts of ULPs. And uh, while they have not announced organizing at the World Trade Center location, they have still filed ULPs on the behalf of workers over there. Uh, uh, CWA's deputy organizer director, Tim Dubno, said, uh, when we learn about Apple violating the law, we try our best to defend workers' rights. It's time for them to just back off and allow workers to choose for themselves whether or not they want a union. That's a really great uh, sentiment. And I also really want to kind of highlight here that the World Trade Center location has not actually announced a union necessarily or or filed for an election, but the CWA has still, in solidarity, stood up for these workers. And so if you are out there 
thinking, hey, maybe we're going to, you know, do a walkout, uh, you know, write up your petition with your demands, uh, but make sure to hit up a local union so that at least when the boss does eventually retaliate, you might have a lawyer on your side. Yeah, absolutely. And so... Obviously, like, it's good to see this pushback and it's very exciting to see this organizing going on in retail because for so long, like, retail's been one of those places and the same thing that we've heard at so many other places. You can't organize this. It's, quote, unquote, too low-skilled, which is bullshit, or there's too much turnover, which that is a legitimate, like, difficulty, but that's also why it's so exciting to see this sort of organizing going on. And we should get our first big gauge of how, how well this is going in, uh, I actually think next week. Yeah. Um, because the store in Atlanta in the Cumberland mall there is having their election on June 2nd. So, uh, we will, you know, very shortly within the, I don't know if we'll see a, when we'll see the count. Uh, I don't know if that's on the second or if it'll be like a little later, but very shortly we should see how the election goes in Atlanta. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to report on our first, uh, unionized Apple retail store. Yeah, that would fucking rock. We need to see way more of these retail locations unionized, and maybe this could be a beginning of a wave similar to Starbucks. I mean, Apple um, retail locations are much less, whereas Starbucks, there are like almost 9,000. I think that there are under a thousand Apple retail stores around the world or around the U.S. So I think uh, it's like 300 or 400. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was closer to eight, but I, I really don't remember. It, but anyway, the point is, is, you know, there even if uh, we only see, you know, three or four now and then, you know, ramps up and I mean, it, proportionally, we might see, you know, something similar. But yeah. um, to see something kind of not similar to what we've <laughs> uh, what we've seen but recently, I mean, I guess there are tinges of rela- uh, relatability to this. There is a uh, a factory, like a, um, a a bottling plant called Refresco, where workers have already voted to unionize last year, but because the company filed, you know, it, you know that the uh, the election should be overturned it actually did and there was a forced re-election so literally these workers have already won once and they're about to do it again and well we're going to explain how they did it again but <laughs> yeah this, this story is wild and you know i guess that's the theme of the show is frustration with the stupidities of u.s labor law but yeah so refresco beverages is one of the biggest like bottling corporations in at least the u.s and maybe the world uh they they bottle you know stuff like gatorade tropicana arizona iced tea they work with pepsi they work with you know a lot of the biggest drink companies in the country so you know that's a that's a lot of work like that's a lot of like really high profile contracts that they get and so this story about of union busting by the company is fucking wild like this organizing like so many places that we have covered really started with with the pandemic basically when covid hit back in 2020 like these workers were labeled essential workers because we got to keep the gatorade flowing if we have shortages of gatorade then what are we going to do so <laughs> they you know they got pushed back into work nobody's getting time off to to, to stay safe and they have recordings that leaked, I believe, last year during the first union drive about 
the way that the company responded to workers' concerns, because workers were like, hey, we're hearing about this airborne virus. We should probably do something <laughs> to prevent us from catching that. And so they had a meeting, you know, the management called workers together. And in the recording, they had a quote from the, one of the management workers who said, Homeland Security and the CDC have told us they want us to stay open. And the first thing they tell you to do if you get a fever is to let it break and they suggest you drink Gatorade. Uh, so they're marketing their own products <laughs> to the workers. And the, what got me here, that's right. Homeland Security says we need Gatorade, folks. Yep. My uncle, he works for the CIA, and his wife, she works for Nintendo, and they told me <laughs> that you need to eat the ivermectin we make here. <laughs> I don't understand what the fuck is happening. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, that response is, is absolutely absurd, but unfortunately, like, there's so many other, like, when we talk about, like, meatpacking, we saw similar bullshit mm -hmm. from the collusion between the state and the corporate ownership to keep workers working and it oftentimes actually forcibly accelerate the pace of work. And so like many other workplaces on March 22nd or March 21st, 2020, the workers had held a walkout to demand COVID protections. And that really was the incident that a lot of the workers there like see as the starting point for their union drive. Because at that point they realized with the response from the company that like, we've tried asking the company to do something about this and they refused and they really don't want to do anything to keep us safe. So the only ones who can do that are us. And so the workers after the walkout, they started getting together and say, look, we need a union. And so they reached out to the UE, the electrical workers who we've talked about, you know, so many times on the show. And so they began the process of, of organizing a union and immediately, of course, unsurprisingly, Refresco brings in, consultants to help bust the union, specifically in this case, a company called Cruz and Associates. And these folks were hired because they like, they specialize in union busting at places that have a large percentage of their workforce who are Spanish speaking. And, and like this plant, this is in Wharton, New Jersey. The, the majority, I think something like 75, 80% of the workers there are, are prime, like Spanish as their first language. And so, they came in like literally specifically targeting these folks to try and based on their like ethnicity and their, their, you know, linguistics to try and bust their union focused on that. And like they brought out all of your standard bullshit nonsense that we hear from union busters, even going so far as to do. And this is one thing I, I really appreciated from the story on this is that the workers did a great job of recording so much of this stuff because they had recordings from the captive audience meetings where they had one consultant that literally told workers, quote, the only way you can save yourself is if a majority of you vote no to the union. That's right. Like, We're going <laughs> to murder you. Yeah. Like, what does that even like? How do you interpret that except as a threat? Like, it's so insane. <laughs> Homeland Security said you drink the wrong Gatorade. Save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? It, but I mean, thankfully, as Lena mentioned, they held their first union drive last June and they had their election and it was a narrow win, but they won 114 to 101 to unionize with the UE. And so now they have, Oh wait, no. Uh, we have more fuckery by, mm. by the company because like, as you said, Lena, like they filed to try and overturn the union, but the specific reason that they used to overturn this election is 
the most ridiculous technicality bullshit I think that I've seen in one of these where like, for instance, the folks in Bessemer filed to have Amazon, the Amazon drive there overturned where they lost the first election because Amazon broke the law in about 700 different ways. And it mm-hmm. was the most blatant union busting. In this case, Refresco and their lawyers filed to overturn the election because they said that because an NLRB agent opened the polls for the election on one of the many days of voting at 6.05 a.m. instead of 6 a.m., that the election was not properly conducted and that it must be overturned, justifying that by saying, well, up to 23 people could have voted in those five minutes, and if they all voted against the union, it would have overturned it. So really, this was an unfair election, and it must be overturned. That's fucking deranged. (laughs) Yeah, like... And then again, a judge... You know, this fucking asshole who is, you know, ruling over the people, most likely unelected, overturned the election results and forced this revote. Like, yeah, I fucking that's hate the judges. The argument is insane and, and like, absurd on its face. But the worst part about it is the fact that the judge was like, yeah, no, that makes sense. We got to, you're right. <laughs> like... It, absolutely wild. And so, yeah, so now the workers have been in limbo now, waiting for a new vote for almost a fucking year. And just to, like, point out other reasons why there was, you know, a push for a union drive there, in addition to the shitty response to COVID, like, because w- More Perfect Union did an excellent video on this and the conditions faced by these workers. And in that video, one of the workers, uh, Licinia Ochoa, who says that she'd been working at Refresco's bottling plant for 21 years, which that is a long ass time to work anywhere. Mm -hmm. And her wages had only gone up to just over $18 an hour after 21 years. Like whenever I see that, I'm like, yo, that's not even a dollar a year. Yeah. Like Like, (laughs) it, it, it's, it's insane because that's the other thing. All the people are like, oh well, if you know, if you if you just work really hard, you'll be rewarded. This woman was working at this bottling plant for twenty one years, and they were only going to give her eighteen dollars an hour. Like, the meritocracy is fake. Don't ever let anyone tell you that. Like, oh, if you just work hard, you'll get ahead. No, right. not true. Yeah. And they have these shit healthcare. I mean, yeah. basically blaming you know. The ACA, you know, oh, no, it's totally fine. We have this, you know, ineffective healthcare system. And so you're fine, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that was one of the other wild things was that, like, their healthcare plan is so bad that workers were instead buying plans off the ACA marketplace. And if any of our listeners have ever used the ACA marketplace, it's hard to imagine worse plans than the plans that are available on there. So honestly, kind of impressive the company was able to make one that was worse. Uh, but I mean, additionally, since the start of the pandemic, the company has forced workers to switch to 12 hour shifts, which is inc- like, that's an exhausting pace of work, no matter what mm-hmm. you're doing, but working in a bottling plant where you're dealing with rapidly moving machinery all day, like that's, that's not safe. The, yeah. and, 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 and on that front, like the work has become more dangerous to the point where OSHA, OSHA actually fined Refresco 50 grand for unsafe working conditions just last week on the 19th. And as we've talked about on this show so many times, OSHA never finds anybody. So if you're getting fined for dangerous working conditions, they got to be really bad. So, oh, yeah. Right. Like, and 
so Refresco, like like we mentioned at the top, like they're they're not just this is not their only plant. They are a very large company. They have uh, thirty plants in the U.S. They took in two billion dollars in profits. That's not revenue, profits in twenty twenty, and wildly, the union busters actually tried to leverage that against the workers during the union campaign, where another recording from one of the captive audience meetings picked up one of them telling the workers, well, if this union isn't wanting the, one of the big ones, referring to UE, and Refresco is the biggest in the world, what kind of funds does this union have to help you in a fight? Oh Yo, my god, fuck um, off. Like, UE is a slightly smaller union, but they also are a rank-and-file union, which are better at maintaining power. In fact, I cannot wait for us to get this overtime episode out at the end of the week, which basically goes over the history of how, despite the fact that they have, you know, had these really staunch, uh, really, really entrenched uh, rank-and-file practices that have been, you know, dismantled by not only, like, you know, the corporate America, but also even just the uh, business union movement, they have survived uh, along with the ILWU uh, as a rank and file union for a very long time. And they are a great, in fact, we literally, what, the Hudson workers are part of UE, right? Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, like, there's, there's a bunch of really great uh, union drives that are happening right now under UE. And honestly, this is uh this this list is too small. You could do some help in expanding it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so like as we you know sort of led with, despite all of this union busting, despite the nonsense of having their vote overturned, despite having to wait almost an entire year to get the results of their second vote, the union still won the second election, and this time by an even larger margin, winning one thirteen to eighty eight. So. And with so far, doesn't look like there's any insane technicality that's going to overturn the second election. Who knows, though? So, the fucking judges in this country are on one now. You have this yeah. judge who accepts opening the, the polls five minutes late as some kind of thing. You have the Fifth Circuit doing all kinds of crazy shit, revoking all the power from the SEC. And you have this judge in Michigan who's like, oh, yeah, that guy who protested nonviolently. Uh, I didn't watch the footage. And also he's a terrorist from Die Hard. It's like <laughs> yeah. judges are losing their fucking minds right now yeah but thankfully you know this one of the things that is is inspiring about this drive is that again this is a two-year effort that had to go through multiple elections and they in their second drive they lost one like one numerically vote out of Mm -hmm. like 250 voters for over that year like that is a level of resiliency that is like a really good sign for their union and and just one great quote they had in there, like to finish off from uh, Licinio Ochoa, you know, that worker organizer who's been at the plant for 20 years, said that like she really hopes that this will inspire the other refresco plants around the country to unionize, saying, quote, this way other refresco plants can organize and form their unions. Refresco can't imagine what a blow we're about to land on them. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can, that is exciting. They're just like, you know oh, yeah. what? We are just the beginning of a wave. Hell like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I mean, honestly, that's why it's like, that's the sort of story that I love because it's got the infuriating bullshit of U.S. the labor law, but defeated by worker solidarity yet again, which is, you know, we love to see that. And speaking of worker solidarity, we're going to go international now, folks, to our, our, our outside the U.S. segment where we're going to be talking about once again, South Africa, which you know, just seems to have an incredibly vital union movement, which rocks. 
Um, and this is specifically, we're going to be talking about workers in South Africa's gold mines where, which like South Africa, like mining in South Africa is an enormous industry. It's, I believe it's one of the biggest employers in the country. And so workers at gold mines in South Africa have now been on strike for three months over the low wages that they're being paid, which is of course one of the ironies of metal mining that it's like, you're literally producing money <laughs> and yet like every capitalist industry, it's built off a massive exploitation and these workers mm -hmm. face incredibly low wages. And what they're specifically striking over is again, one of the things that is so frustrating about these international mining conglomerates where these workers at the Sibanye Stillwater mines, they first struck back on uh, March 9th. This is 30,000 workers and they are demanding a, a, a salary increase to 10,000 rands, which is, is the equivalent of only $630 a year. And that is only an increase of a thousand rands or an increase of $63 a year per worker. That's it. That's all they're asking for. I mean, they're also asking for a 6% raise for skilled workers and a 100 rand raise for union officers, which again is it's $6.30. So like these are in, like incredibly like mild demands, the sort of thing that it should a company could be like, oh yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, we, we literally pull gold out of the ground, <laughs> so yeah, we can give you that. Yeah, <laughs> and that ten thousand rand figure that they're fighting for also is important. Like, it's not just oh we're targeting a ten percent raise or whatever. They are fixed on that point because the way that the like credit system in South Africa works means that. If you have a salary less than 10,000 rand, you are not eligible for housing loans from many banks because they think, oh, you're too poor. You're not going to be able to pay us back. But if you may, but like if you make less than 10,000 rand, but you're fully employed, you are not eligible for government housing assistance programs, which puts these workers in an impossible position where they're paid too little to be able to afford housing, but they're paid quote unquote too much to qualify for assistance programs, which this is a situation, you know, we see with so many workers like here in the U S with folks who don't make nearly enough money to buy healthcare, but you make too much money. You make more than like $10,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And so you can't qualify for Medicaid. So like that 10,000 Rand is an incredibly important mark. And yet the company that owns the mine has been, firm for three months so like we will give you a raise to 9800 rand which might as well be no raise for these workers because it doesn't crack that 10,000 point mm -hmm. which would make them eligible for like loans from banks and like this is all happening while <laughs> their ceo neil froneman was paid 19 million dollars last year like the the general secretary of the union that's on strike here the association of mine workers and construction union the amcu jeff mafalele said quote i don't know why denying the 200 rands is so important for the company the ceo just gave himself 300 million rand 300 million for just one man and he's refusing to give just a thousand rands to thirty thousand people end quote which it, I mean, yeah, that's it's disgusting. It, it's such an arbitrary uh, point for the company to to draw the line right under that threshold. You have to wonder if they're not, you know, receiving some kind of uh, kickback, let's say, from some kind of local government official who's interested in making sure that people don't qualify for that assistance or or loans or whatever the case may be. 
Yeah, well, and this union has been fighting for mine workers, metal, more specifically metal mine workers, for quite a while. To the you know they've won minimum salaries of thirteen thousand rand for platinum workers, which is nearly fifty percent higher than the current salary uh, for gold miners. And uh, negotiations on wages are set to begin soon in the for the platinum workers again as well, uh, who have also threatened to strike. Yeah. So, like, that's the other thing. Like, they've they've pointed out, they're like, look, uh, you pay the platinum workers who are doing basically the same job, mm-hmm. like, 50% more. There's literally no reason you can't pay them. So, I mean, the fact that these guys have been have to be in out for three months on this is ridiculous. Yeah. And But thankfully, they are also receiving solidarity from other unions and, like, assistants from the the broader labor movement within South Africa, including uh, one union that we've talked about several times on the show, NUMSA, which is you know the the National Metal Workers Union of South Africa, there mm-hmm. and are the largest trade union in the country, and they've actually been on strike at South Africa's largest steel producer during this same period. So really good to see that sort of you know cross trade, cross union solidarity. Because look, if workers who are already so poorly paid. Because that's the thing, $630 a year. I know the cost of living in South Africa is obviously quite a bit lower than here, but that's so little money. And these folks have have stayed strong for three months mm-hmm. on the picket line, which is wild. And so, like, that's why it's really good to see them getting, you know, solidarity. Because, like, uh, NUMSA, I think, has more than, like, a million members. It's, it, it's a huge union. And so that's a really good – it's good to see that sort of alliance. And so – Hopefully, we'll also see you know broader outreach like we did with um, when we were talking about like, the, the clover workers who are striking because mm-hmm. um, yeah like this is is absolutely absurd and like the company just yeah. just just give the workers the ten thousand rand you could afford to pay them probably eighty thousand rand yeah like well, yeah, and I mean certainly. it's especially good to see the support come from NUMSA because they're also in the broad metal industry in the country yeah and like you know solidarity works better when it's like i hate this term but like vertically integrated when you can strike at all of the different points along the same production line that the capitalists are trying to get a hold of so yeah similar to like coordinating uh contracts Mm -hmm. but um to keep with our international segment we're gonna move to uh what has become quite a contentious topic but one that we think that our listeners are going to find pretty uh you know understandable yeah we're gonna move to the ukraine situation but in regards to the working conditions now there's a little bit of a preface to this because the sources on here are from the solidarity center and open democracy which as we know are heavily funded by uh, the ned the um national national endowment for democracy democracy. right i just forgot it for a second um and ngo cia yeah (laughs) exactly uh abc bbq so generally, like, and and even with this, we're gonna set give everybody a little bit of a heads up on this one to you know take part of this with a grain of salt. But a lot of these this information is very specifically uh, about how the workers in Ukraine are being like absolutely their their conditions are being diminished not only by the war but also specifically by the government in the name of the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I, tr- I generally tend to dismiss or just 
a look for other sources when I see a story from Solidarity Center or Open Democracy or any of the other various groups that are funded primarily by the NED. I couldn't find any on this in this case, partially because getting information out of getting specifically unbiased independent information about the conflict in Ukraine or even just stuff peripheral to it like this is seemingly impossible uh, right now. Uh, And because these are stories that are critical of what is functionally a United States client state, I'm more inclined to think that there's less because I like the, what there's no interest of the U S government that would be served by critiquing the Zelensky government, which only really exists because of the backing of the United Mm -hmm. States. So, uh, so what we're getting into with these couple of stories is, as, as you said, Lena, is like, obviously, Ukrainian workers and, and civilians have faced enormous hurdles and problems and, you know, the horrors that come with any sort of a war. And, and so, of course, that's going to make the lives of everyday working people in Ukraine really, really difficult. But we've at the same time seen companies and the Ukrainian state move to make things even more difficult on purpose. And so like the first one of these stories, uh, this was a story specifically out of the Solidarity Center, which is a AFL-CIO like foreign policy setup that was created after the AIFLD, which was their specific integration with the CIA after that was finally shut down. So I, I will, I'll go into the history of that more when we do our AFL-CIA episode part two that we're going to do in a few weeks. Or but, go back and listen to part one. You'll get at least part of the story. Yeah. Um, but so like the solidarity center is a little different. Uh, I know a lot less about it than a field, which was the old collaboration that they had with the CIA. Uh, overall solidarity center seems a lot less, uh, objectionable, but anyway, so this story is about delivery workers. Like, you know, that we, who, face a lot of the same problems we see with delivery workers anywhere where you're working for an app. So you have a fucking black box algorithm. You're labeled as an independent contractor. A lot of your costs are not picked up, but all of those problems when you're dealing with a country that's now a war zone is obviously, you know, through the roof with a million problems. Like a lot of workers who lived in the center or Eastern part of Ukraine and like fled to avoid the war to uh, the Western part of the country, especially around Lviv, a lot of the places that those people have been able to find work is as delivery drivers for gig apps. And specifically like one example they have in here is this company called bolt foods. And now like workers who have, have, have moved there to escape the conflict and have just been trying to, you know, make some money working as a food driver have been protesting the company because of the conditions that they're facing. Like, Uh, Basically, these companies that are already incredibly exploitative, whose business model is already based on paying workers next to nothing, have just taken advantage of the war to try and make even more super profits off of these workers. Uh, Like one worker who, who is a delivery driver for Bolt talked about how since the war started, how the company has changed their model. He said, quote, They took away the minimum payment for delivery, and the ratios were reduced by almost half. Here, a colleague has calculated that it approximately will give a reduction of wages by 52%, which, like, is nuts. Because, again, with all the stories we've talked about, like, everywhere that these delivery, these app delivery companies operate, pretty much, except for a few small, you know, every once in a while there's an exception. But the vast majority of them, these workers are already massively underpaid because that's the only way the like quick delivery model like business model actually works and so to then have those wages slashed by 52 percent while everything is becoming more expensive because there's a war 
means that there's no way these workers can pay just for their basic needs. Like, and, and one of the keys of this is the fact that because they're classed as independent contractors and not employees and don't have to have their expenses covered, that means that since gasoline prices in Ukraine have shot through the roof because they're at war, like, that means that these workers have to pick up the increased fuel expense when the, and the companies then just pay nothing. Meanwhile, they're cutting their wages by 50%. Like, yeah. it's insane. Well, and this is a microcosm of, of the economy as it is. I mean, workers decry are decrying the lack of regulation and the way the platform abuses its workers. And we see this in other places, but we also have this quote here. Each service acts as they want. Some platform employ some platforms employ people as private entrepreneurs. <laughs> uh, some just saying you are plugged into a platform and you should be grateful for it because of that. Uh, oh, and because of that, many issues arise. Wow! Now, no way. Having a fractious marketplace full of a bunch of different competing uh, gig services, trying to figure out how to skim the most off of your labor, uh, is a bad thing. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, also, also the um, the Ukrainian parliament has been gutting labor rights left and right uh, in the name of the war, leading to massive abuses across the country, basically, you know, outlining the, that this uh, delivery story is, is just a microcosm of the economy there. Uh, and uh, basically, the rights of trade unions have been drastically cut. Employers have been empowered to suspend workers for any reason without pay and unilaterally suspend collective bargaining agreements. They basically were just given carte blanche to say, there are no unions in Ukraine. Yeah, like, and and this is all couched in you know patriotic language of like look we there's a war on we all have to you know pull our our weight and that's why we have to allow companies to throw out collective bargaining agreements which is you know I'm like well okay you want the workers to pull their weight are you also increasing taxes are you preventing companies from price gouging are you putting on price control well no, no. oh there there there's a new drafted law that aims to completely remove labor regulations for any employer who has fewer than 250 employees and this includes the fucking independent contracting companies which quote basically have no employees uh yes yeah. So, so these changes are affecting nearly three quarters of the population uh, of Ukraine's workers. And this, this labor law was developed by an NGO called the Office of Simple Solutions and Results, which was set up by <laughs> former Georgian president and at that time uh, refugee and then mayor of Odessa, Mikhail Saakashvili, a uh, longtime CIA asset and all around just generally very insane brain person. If you want to know more about him, I really recommend checking out the whole last month of episodes from corner spady um <laughs> and uh, his story is so weird he's so fuck he's one of the weirdest guys in the world uh and so the the bill is being justified as updating the country's quote outdated labor code uh which is still largely based on the 1971 soviet code so like it's anti-worker and it's anti-communist all at the same time fuck you ukrainian workers you have to work for uh you know uber but it's it's a knockoff and the b is backwards and uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. uh, but meanwhile your parents got to grow up in the soviet union yeah <laughs> and this is to quote uh reduce the bureaucratic burden on labor relations and business entities basically saying labor peace is how we quote win the war again if anybody says 
win the war or lose the war, they are fucking deranged. No one wins <laughs> wars except for the rich. Yeah, like, this is a, a it, it's an excellent example, honestly, of what some people have called disaster capitalism. It's, it's really, this is a great showing of how capitalists take advantage of a crisis where they're just like, look, we have to, look, we get that workers need their rights protected, but we're in the middle of a war. We need every, we need everything running at maximum. We got to do all the maximum protection. We got to get rid of this red tape of having to pay workers a decent wage and let them bargain collectively. It's, it's essentially the parts of, of neoliberal shock therapy that, the were attempted to be applied to all of the post-Soviet countries in the nineties, everything they weren't able to deregulate and hollow out and destroy during the nineties. They are now using this new crisis of the illegal Russian invasion to just push that further. Like this is basically the result of when you, you see two people talking about talking about the decommunization laws. That's what this is too. It is eradicating the rights of workers that were built up, you know, over a, essentially like almost a century of, of struggle during like leading up to the creation of the Soviet union. And now just rolling it back to essentially the situation. And this is the thing, you know, you can kind of illustrate about the U S to how the, the, the labor conditions are for a lot of workers here in the U.S. where it's it would essentially make all of Ukraine right to work. It would allow people to be fired at will. It's yeah, it's worse all than of right the to awful work. Things. It's it's really worse than right to work because the ability to suspend collective bargaining yeah, agreements true. unilaterally is is absolutely insane. And like I said, is the deunification of Ukraine to basically cut unions in general i mean ukraine's trade unions have strongly opposed this bill obviously but many workers or but but many worry that the ruling elite are using this wartime conditions to basically just ram through as many anti-worker laws as possible and protests are banned due to the war making it much more difficult to show any amount of opposition or solidarity to any of these bills or pressure the government even a little bit yeah like this this situation sucks. Like, you, I mean, you know, you, we can get into a million arguments over like the the history leading up to the war and all the politics around that. But like the the point that we wanted to talk about here is that like, regardless of how you feel about that, Ukrainian workers should not have their rights destroyed using the excuse of the war. It, understandably, a company a country has to initiate emergency measures during a war. I get that. But like, if that's all this was about, as I was kind of alluding to before, you would have profit caps. You would say, okay, a company can only make 5% profit or whatever. The rest of the money is going either to the workers or back to the state because we, we need to make all this stuff for the war. Right. Like, you would have a restriction on capital being removed from the country. None of that's going on. None of the, there are no controls being placed on Ukrainian businesses. It's only controls being placed on workers and having their rights stripped away. It's classic that, neoliberal austerity. Yeah, they're, they're, the war is not a justification for that. That is like it. As difficult as the situation is for the Ukrainian workers, you can't justify taking away all of their rights while you're letting the capitalists fucking loot the country. So, like, it's it's really awful. And, I mean, as surprised as I was to see these stories coming out of these outlets, it's some, it seemed like some pretty genuinely good reporting on what has turned into a really bleak situation for mm. workers in Ukraine. And it really sucks. Yeah. That's, and, and yet, this is yet another reason 
why, again, regardless of your position on the worst party in starting the war, the best thing that could happen to help these workers is for the war to end as soon as possible with a negotiated settlement that brings peace back to the region because this war is doing nothing to help workers either in Ukraine or in Russia. And the only way that those workers are going to be able to fight for their rights again is for this war to end. And that's why we need the U S to stop spending 50 fucking billion dollars in weapons to try and get Ukrainians and Russians to kill each other, which doesn't help anyone except the U S empire. Absolutely. Whew. All right. Deep breath. We have one more (laughs) and we're going to be moving back to our weekly segment on Starbucks. So back to the United States, the Imperial Corps, the cause of much of the strife of the world. We are going to be focusing on the labor struggle again at Starbucks, where we have seen more strikes, more lawsuits, and also more union victories. So let's start at the Millwood Millwood Avenue store in Columbia, South Carolina, where a strike on Thursday, May 19th, uh, even before winning their union election, happened. Uh, Workers say they've faced horrendous union busting and have walked out in protest. Sophie Ryan, a worker organizer at the store, explained, Our store has been facing a laundry list of retaliation for our unionization process. It just started with simple discrimination about dress code policies, but slowly started to be people being threatened with being written up. And we've seen this at so many different places. We've talked about how Starbucks will use any sort of in to punish uh, workers who are fighting for better conditions. And uh, these workers have walked out on a strike for for that Thursday uh, in protest, which is awesome to see more of these Starbucks uh, doing that sort of thing. Yeah, so it seems like the straw that broke the camel's back for these workers was that their uh, manager had been refusing to be uh, complicit in Starbucks' union-busting campaign, and so Starbucks fired the manager. And then the workers were like, okay, that's it. We're going out on strike. And uh, so the store was closed on the 19th. And then the next day, the company brought in workers from other stores to operate the drive through So it's like, oh, you're striking because of union busting. Well, here's some more union busting. And, uh, you know, that fucking sucks. But all solidarity to these workers, you know, stay out there uh, for as long as you need to. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things. And just, like, for folks to know, like, their election is scheduled to, or their ballots for their union election are scheduled to be counted this Friday, uh, this Thursday, mm-hmm. the 26th. And I just, one of the things that struck me though about this, this strike is that it's so emblematic of all of the things that are so inspiring about the Starbucks Workers United campaign. It's a strike that's happening before they've won their union election, which is really tough to pull off. Uh, like it's a strike in South Carolina, which again, we hear so much from like major unions. Well, it's just, there's too many insurmountable obstacles to organize the South, but we've already seen, I think like half a dozen stores in the South that have at least that have won their union elections mm-hmm. through the rank and file organizing techniques of these workers. It, you see that, and it, and it's a strike that's fundamentally about, you know, workers standing in solidarity with each other. And like, these are the sorts of actions that are so important for us to understand like where they're coming from and how they can be replicated. Cause it's like stuff like this where recognition strikes marches on the boss. Like we've seen strikes in Buffalo, in Seattle, now in South Carolina, it really all across the country. And these are the sorts of aggressive actions that like 
in, 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 especially in business unions, you would only see at contract time. And these workers are not waiting for any of that. They're like, look, we have these fucking problems now and we need to deal with them now. And so we're going to stand with each other and we're going to tell the company that we're not going to take it. And so like this stuff rocks, like these workers standing together and doing this rocks. We have a strike fund, which I'm going to put in the notes. So absolutely, you know, everybody support these folks. And I really, I mean, if they have enough solidarity to do a strike before they've won their union election, I think that's a pretty good indication <laughs> that they're probably going to win their union election. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> because agree. Because if they had to bring in, again, they had to bring in workers from other stores just to operate the drive-thru, which means they couldn't get enough people to scab just to run the drive-thru. So, like, Starbucks, I think that tells you what's going to happen with the election. You might as well stop the union busting because it clearly hasn't worked. So, yeah. Well, and then on Friday, the NLRB issued a more forceful complaint against Starbucks uh, saying that the union busting campaign at the Camp Road store in Buffalo, uh, the first store to actually lose a union election, was so erroneous that the company should be forced to bargain with Workers United, basically giving the workers their union anyway. The board argues that the union busting was so tainted that the union busting so tainted the organizing environment that a redo of the election it would never be sufficient and that the company just has to recognize the union, which this needs to happen all the fucking time. Nearly yeah. every fucking time. The amount of union busting we see, I mean fucking the um the other Amazon facility should fucking be organized or should, should be forcefully uh, recognized by the NLRB. The, all of these stores which have lost their elections should be overturned and every single store should it be a union. I mean, like that is just how it is. But luckily we have at least one example at this Camp Road store in Buffalo, which uh, the NLRB is trying to force them into recognizing. Yeah, I mean, this is the, like like you said, like, I think this is the only instance of an order like this that we've reported on since we started doing the show. I certainly can't think of another one where the NLRB actually said, you're union busting. You broke so many laws <laughs> like that you have completely like salted the earth and it wouldn't make sense to do a redo. You should just have to recognize the union. And as you said, like, that should be that should not be this extreme of a penalty. This should be a much more common response to this because it's like, oh, the company chose to broke the law. Okay, fine. They have to work with it. They have to you know, like recognize the union. That's what it should be. But I mean, obviously, like we know that the the NLRB isn't going to do that. But this is still an encouraging sign. Like we had a quote from one of the organizers at the store, Will Westlake, who said today we can say we took notes and the federal government agrees. This was one of the worst anti-union campaigns. And so like, yeah, that's great. It's great news. The only downside to this is that like with so many of these other things, because this is a pretty extreme penalty, it's not the sort of thing that can be done in a quick process and it has to go through all of the whole, like a, a judge has to look at the complaint, see if he agrees with the NLRB's argument. And even if they rule in favor of the workers, Starbucks can appeal the ruling and drag the process out. So like, even if this does go through and the Starbucks is forced to bargain with workers United, I don't think we're going to see that happen this calendar year. I think it'll probably be next year. Um, unless, unless there's a big shift, nationwide and start and, and like there's enough pressure from Starbucks shareholders or something. And they just realize we are destroying our brand. 
with our insane law breaking and it would be better if we shifted to some sort of different sort of union avoidance quote unquote like to use their terminology mm-hmm. um i don't expect that to happen but it's really the only way i could see this happening much faster right, right. well uh let's go to covering all of these uh these wins and i we have one loss so and wins. one pending um with from this past week where uh, there are four different stores in Portland, Oregon, who got their unionization ratified by the NLRB, uh, where uh, through a combined vote, like if we add all of them up, there was the total election uh, results were thirty-seven to two, which means <laughs> Portland just—I mean, basically it had a giant landslide at these four. Uh, now officially unionized stores. Yeah, well, and it's um, really more like 37 to 1 once you take out the uh, supervisor from Ithaca. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah, right. exactly. It's it's four unanimous elections where the guy with the Groucho Marx glasses keeps showing yeah. up to do that one vote to try and just ruin the idea of it being unanimous. But, I mean, that, I mean, really, you know, it, it, it stands to the questionable scheduling of the union-busting management because they were only able to get them to two of the four locations. Yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> well, you, we all know that the company doesn't organize as well as the workers do. That's, That's true. Right. Uh, yeah. And then later on that same day where, when Portland got their unions, uh, workers in Latham, right? Uh, or Latham, Latham maybe. Latham, New York, uh, voted eight to six in favor, favor of their union. Then on Thursday, uh, Boston got its seventh union. Uh, where workers in uh, Wabin, I'm so bad at pronouncing Wabin. Oh, I did it right. Okay. (laughs) I voted unanimously to join Starbucks Workers United. Uh, It was then two more stores in Denver, Colorado, uh, as well as a store in Colorado Springs that that won their elections. (sighs) Hold on. We're not done. I couldn't find numbers for those ones, so it's just like we got we got wins in Denver, wins in Colorado Springs, wins in Buff in uh, Boston, <laughs> wins yeah. in the most weirdly shaped state, Maryland, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Virginia on uh, Thursday became the ninth store uh, in Virginia to vote uh, for the for uh, their union. Then on Friday, workers in I you know I need one of y'all to- only. <laughs> Oh, only, only. Yeah, it, it it doesn't matter. Places on the East Coast were all named <laughs> by like dudes in powdered wigs from the 17th century, so you don't need to worry about saying them right. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be the third store in Maryland to vote to unionize. Uh, their results were nine to four, and that brought us to 83 at the time. And then Monday. We had another big slate of elections, and this is where we had uh, two votes in California with one win, one loss. Uh, the two to el- this is actually the the largest loss that we have seen an, of any election so far, as far as I can remember, is a two to eleven vote at uh, Los Alamitos, uh, and the store on uh, at the second and central in Los Angeles voted unanimously five to zero for their union. Yeah. And then to to wrap it up, we had one that's unfortunately still too close to call where workers at a store in Amherst, New York, the ballots we have counted are six and three in favor of the union, but there are 10 more ballots that have been challenged. So that could go anyway. So like workers are confident that they will win, but 
this is another one of those ones that's going to get delayed for a couple of months while there's a bunch of legal challenges and stuff. So right now, as we've, we, we stand, I believe, and unfortunately there have been so many elections. This is, I'm now not a hundred percent confident in this number, but I know it's somewhere around 84 unionized stores. And there may have been more while we were talking the, the store where the Memphis seven were fired was actually supposed to count up today. And then they had like a note taped on like the NLRB door that was just like, uh, we're not counting today for some reason. It's been delayed by two weeks. So that one's going to get counted later, but yeah, so we're now at about 84 unionized stores with, I still think like 150 plus more well, that filed. I'm certain. I mean, like I'm, I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with this invisible wave of COVID that's been going around. I mean, we have the, the amount of Probably. COVID cases that are, are happening are higher than the first two waves that we saw in the pandemic. Uh, I mean, if you listen to the death panel, they went over a bunch of these statistics. I mean, 40% of the the deaths from COVID have been from people who are vaccinated, 18% from those who have been boosted. I mean, like there is a really big crisis of COVID going on right now. So stay safe out there, folks. Make sure you're masking up and, and, and all that, especially in the workplace. But I mean, I'm guessing you're probably in your workplace. And so why not move to a little comic relief that we call the meme review? That's right. right. So this first one is very applicable to multiple of the stories that we talked about. So you've got Keanu Reeves with the, the, the very very freaked out screen grab from uh, Bill and Ted. And it's just, you know, your standard impact font with what if the third party is the anti-union consultant? Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This one was just rang so true to me. I, I, Cannot like we we know that the union is the workers that the that the union is not a third party, and uh, if there is one, it's this fucking law firm that's been brought in, <laughs> Lidler Third Party Son, uh, <laughs> and then this. All right, I'm I'm gonna maybe apologize, maybe congratulate you listeners for this next meme that I brought in here <laughs> because we are doing a meta meme review on this one where yeah so this is this is the classic nancy comic where it's uh that's what it's called right nancy i think and she goes to the circus in this one uh and and you know you've probably seen it before but it's got each panel and then in between the panel you have meme exposition by none other than slavoj zizek who (laughs) it's actually funny this is in here i i'm reading the sublime object right now uh, and it, it's, a, it's a pain in the ass, but it's a good book. And um, so in the first panel, Nancy is in front of the bank and it says, bank, visit our loan department. And then you see Slavoy and he says, already in the, in the first panel, we see the critique of capitalism Nancy offers up. Instead of a traditional advertisement from the post-capitalist era with beautiful women and so on, the bank simply says, loan. It knows that you have no options outside of the capitalist system and so has no need to, as in the waning days of the old Soviet era, to present a human face. <laughs> <laughs> and then so Nancy's standing at the loan desk talking to the banker saying, I'd like to borrow $2. And he responds, what for? <laughs> and then Slavoy's back in the picture immediately says, notice here that capitalism is inextricably linked to desire. It is not simply enough to ask for money. It must be for something. 
In this conflict, we see immediate parallels to the Hegelian master-slave dialectic. $2 is an absurd amount, but the banker, who is a mere clerk, feels obligated to deny it a priority, diminishing both people. (laughs) And then we've got the third panel where Nancy tells the banker, the circus is in town, and he responds, it is? (laughs) And Slavoy cannot resist himself. Uh, He says, of course, for Lacan, the circus is always in town. The objet petit a may not not be a circus qua circus with elephants and trapeze artists and so on, but is still defined by its $2 requirement. The circus for capitalism cannot exist without commodification. (laughs) And then the last panel just shows Nancy and the uh, banker at the circus with ice cream. (laughs) Looking at it. And then watching a big clown. And then Slavoy just says, the clown, of course, is ideology. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) I've never been a huge Zizek fan. And I know this is just a, like, like a parody of him talking, but the line, of course, for Lacan, the circus is always in town. <laughs> is so funny, <laughs> and it's it's really true too. I mean, the the really wonderful thing about uh, Zizek and and I think people who are interested in him not just as like a pop philosophy figure, but like actually read and understand him is that once you kind of get in the groove of doing his voice, maybe not like literally doing the sniffles and the accent, but like just speaking and thinking in his terms, doing an impression of him is going to produce work that is usually almost as good as his actual work. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so he's, he's even then, said in interviews, he's like, I just write the same book over and over again. <laughs> like I only have yeah. six ideas. <laughs> my, my favorite meme of the week is the next one. Yeah. 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 This one I love because partially just because it's got two of my favorite quotes from like two great revolutionaries. And so this is, is it's, it's one of those, this is from like somebody named at Oracron, but it says inside you, there are two wolves and then it's two quotes. And the first one is, is from Che and it's the true revolutionary is guided by feelings of love. And then next to it is a quote from Mao. Communism is not love. Communism is a hammer, which we use to crush the enemy. <laughs> I feel like I have used both of these quotes and I just related to this so hard because it's true. Well, I, mean, I mean, it's very true, honestly. Like, it, the solidarity and, and caring about people is why we're communists. We also want to use communism to crush capitalism. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's, it, it's the unity of opposites that, that uh, Mao so eloquently describes when he, he talks about dialectics in On Contradiction. It's like, yes, I'm guided by great feelings of love, but I don't use my love to smash the enemy. I use communism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, so so good <laughs> this next one is a is i like it is a parody of jordan peterson's insane <laughs> twitter takes and also anti-lawn propaganda so that's Wait. two good things in one yeah <laughs> where you have this person at insane mistress who is just repeating peterson's bizarre take where he's like oh this swimsuit model isn't attractive because like I don't know. She like weighs more than five pounds or something because he's a fucking misogynist piece of shit. White supremacist. Yeah. Yeah, And a racist. Yeah. That's an important one to throw. in. (laughs) Yes. For all of those reasons. And like, 
so he tweeted about that. Sorry, not beautiful. And no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. But the picture is instead just a picture of a well-manicured suburban lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I fucking hate lawns. Whenever I'm like driving around and I see these houses with these like perfectly manicured lawns, I'm like, there could be plants there. There could be food. You could like, there could be in like even just natural flowers or grasses. There's you don't even go into that lawn. The only time you're on that lawn is when you're fucking mowing it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, lawns are terrible and an enormous waste of water. Uh, make gardens instead. Yeah. Then we have a, a slight variation on a classic uh, where we have a guy getting into a vehicle and it says life hack. Tell your boss you left your phone charger in your car and just fucking leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because, I mean, look, your job probably sucks, but they'll probably believe you that you left your phone charger in your car. So it's a great opportunity to escape. Yeah, right. and then they won't know when you left, and so you're going to get like an extra 15 minutes on your last paycheck. I mean, <laughs> where's the loss? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that goes really well with that other one where it was like the cropped picture of the quote from The Rock where it's just like, never work eight hours for a company. Yeah, right, right, yeah, because <laughs> he, he has a much longer quote. It's just like, nah, we don't need all that extra bullshit in the quote. Just the first part's good enough. <laughs> but yeah, that will do it for us today, folks, and we really appreciate you listening. If you'd like to support us, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage. Give us $5 a month and get access to all of our uh, overtime episodes. You can check out that AFL-CIA episode. This, at the end of this week, we're going to be doing our follow-up on our Y rank and file, which, honestly, listen to the first rank and file episode because it fucking rocks. Uh, but this next one, we're going to go over like the history of the United Electrical Workers as well as a couple other stories. Then, uh, I mean, I could come present a bunch of other reasons. Get stickers. Send, send me your addresses uh, on Patreon so I can send you stickers. Uh, jump in the Discord and make sure to uh, follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity, everyone. Solidarity, everybody. Fly away from no man.